love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX. For 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. One week from our very first show in the mini Halloween tour, San Francisco Cobb's Comedy Nightclub. I'm currently pooping. Yeah, six days <laughs> from the drop date of this episode, we will be in San Francisco. And hopefully, if you're in the area, you can join us. Super excited. You can get all the details at theboxofoddities.com. And of course, right after that, uh, within a week, we're going to start the, uh, the next swing, which is is Boston on the 27th, Charlotte on the 29th, and Nashville on the 30th. What were you laughing about earlier mm-hmm. while I was typing? What <laughs> You were snickering about something. What was that all about? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, mm, yeah, um, so, <laughs> so my friend, whose name I won't say, my friend was at the eye doctor. Mm-hmm. And she was sitting near to a woman who fell um, to the sleepy times uh, waiting in the waiting room of the eye doctor. She fell asleep in the waiting room. Uh-huh. Okay. And so my my friend uh, took a, a little sneaky photo of her and wrote nap time on it and then posted it to her story on Facebook and was just like, I'm at the waiting room. Yeah. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But because uh, <laughs> because Facebook had checked her in at the eye doctor, it posted the picture to the eye doctor's <gasps> Facebook page. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, did she just leave it there? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Okay. I think I would have deleted it. <laughs> That's just me, though. <laughs> yeah. No, I absolutely would. I, I mean, yeah. I just like the idea that that woman was amazing and was like, I'm just going to rest my eyes mm-hmm. and you all can do whatever you need to do. That's fine. I don't know. I appreciate that in a person. I can't sleep anywhere. So I was in the waiting room at the uh, 
hospital for my proctology exam. Oh, my. And I was not the only one there waiting for a proctology exam. Sure. And the guy who I'd been talking to about the pending said proctology exam pulled his hood up over his head and and like pulled the little strings on it so you know you couldn't see his face and and he went to sleep. Now, I understand that, you know, a doctor's waiting room can be peaceful. Mm-hmm. But when you're about to have somebody shove their finger in your ass, to me that's not the time to be unconscious. You're not feeling restful at that time. I'm feeling vulnerable. <laughs> Yeah, no. I I was on a bus one time for like three days, and I think I was able to get like 15 minutes total of sleep. I can't sleep in public. It freaks me out. Yeah, because you feel vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Just about any place else, I have no problem at all nodding off. But I promise I will not nod off during your story. Thank you. You go first. I found some plates that I want. Are they plates that won't explode when we put them in the microwave like our stoneware plates have been doing lately yeah yeah i tried to reheat some soup bang yeah stoneware shards everywhere yeah and the thing is like they said hey these can get hot in the microwave but it didn't say anywhere on it like these could probably explode Mm. Mm. so i was looking at some plates and i found some plates and these are porcelain plates that look like the planets And I want them. Okay. I want them real bad. But I couldn't find a mercury. And how are you going to have all the other plates and not have a mercury? I I don't know if I'd want to put my eggs on Uranus. Was there a Uranus plate? Yes, of course there was a Uranus plate. Was there a Pluto plate? There was. No way. Yes. Yay, Pluto's making a comeback. That's right. Pluto never left. Sorry. Anyway, we're talking about Mars today. Okay, good. So there was a global Martian dust storm in the summer of 2018, and that kind of blotted out the sunlight for a while and put Opportunity out of business. And that's NASA's rover called Opportunity. Right. Now, dust devils, which are rotating columns of air and dust, are very common on Mars. Uh, They form when hot air from the surface rises, creating a current of air that forms a whirlwind. A whirlwind. A whirlwind. Those are actually really handy on Mars' surface because they clean off dust from the panels of the solar-powered spacecrafts that we have up there. Oh. Yeah. They whip by. The whirlwinds whip by and uh, clean off that dust. The Curiosity rover, though, is powered by nuclear battery, which allowed it to collect data while Opportunity hibernated. So it didn't need the solar panels to to collect information. Look at them working as a team. It's smart. They're so cute. Right? Martian dust storms are very common. Not as common as the dust devils, but very common. And especially during the Southern Hemisphere spring and summer, they tend to last a couple of days and they can cover regions of the planet the size of the United States. One storm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But there are occasionally planet encircling dust storms that are unpredictable and can linger for months. You're talking about a, a dust storm that is so big that it encompasses the entire planet of Mars. Yes. And lasts for months. Correct. Wow. Yeah. And for the first time, humans had eight spacecraft orbiting Mars or rovers on its surface during one of these 
all-encompassing dust storms. And this was the summer of 2018. Correct. Okay. So scientists learned more about how these dust storms uh, could have affected ancient Martian water, wind, climate, and civilization. Also, how they could affect future weather and solar power. So Mars is called the Red Planet for a very good reason. So its surface is made of a thick layer of oxidized iron dust and rocks of the same color. This is according to Science Daily. On Earth, dust is separated from soft rock formations by forces of nature, including wind, water, glaciers, volcanoes, and meteor impacts. For more than 4 billion years, though... Streams of water and moving glaciers have likely made but a small contribution to the global dust reservoir on Mars. While meteor craters are a common feature on Mars, the fragments created by those impacts typically are bigger than the fine particles that comprise Mars dust. So how does Mars make so much dust? Because it doesn't do the things that typically create dust. I love these kinds of questions. Is it residue from an ancient Martian manufacturing? No. Um, All right. Oh. A postdoctoral fellow, Lukendra Oha, said that although the factors that we just talked about did play a role in the past, something else is to blame for the large swaths of dust surrounding Mars now. A new study says that the dust that coats much of the Martian surface originates from one place, a single 600-mile-long geological formation near the planet's equator. Is it the face or the pyramids? So the study published in July of last year in the peer-reviewed journal Nature Communications found a chemical match between the dust in the Martian atmosphere and the surface feature called Medusae Fossae Formation. And what is that exactly? So the Medusae Fossae Formation, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, is a large geological unit of probable volcanic origin. It's named for Medusa of Greek mythology, and uh, the fosse part is Latin for trenches. So the study co-author, Kevin Lewis, is an assistant professor of Earth and planetary science at the Johns Hopkins University. And he said in a statement, Mars would not be nearly this dusty if it wasn't for this one enormous deposit that is gradually eroding over time and essentially polluting the planet. So it was likely a volcanic deposit. Right. And it's just because of the way that Mars dust moves, the dust from this one deposit has covered the entire planet. That's incredible. Now, how long has this been going on? How long did it take? We're getting into that. Okay, sorry. So the team studied data captured by the Mars Odyssey spacecraft, which has orbited the planet since 2001. And they looked at the dust's chemical composition. Landers and rovers far apart on the planet reported surprisingly similar data about the dust. Dust everywhere on the planet is enriched in sulfur and chlorine, and it has a very distinct sulfur to chlorine ratio. The researchers were able to pinpoint the Medusae Fossae formation region as having that same. So this formation was once the size of half the continental United States. The wind has eroded it, leaving behind an area that's more like 20% of the United States size now. Yet it is the largest known volcanic deposit in our solar system. Well, that's incredible. So by calculating how much of the formation has been lost over the past 3 billion years, (gasps) 
Three billion years. Okay, that's the answer I'm looking for. The scientists could approximate the current quantity of dust on Mars, enough to form a 7 to 40 foot thick global layer. Of dust. Of dust from one formation. Whoa. Across the entire globe. And because of the volcanic origin Mm -hmm. of the dust, hence the high iron content, hence... The red surface. Right. Okay, I'm putting it all together now. Yes, exactly. Now, this was way before they built the pyramids. So I got most of this information from Mm -hmm. earthsky.org. I used to listen to Earth and Sky snippets on my way to work every morning. It was my favorite part of the morning. Uh, And I'd kind of forgotten that was a thing. So I'm like super reinvested in Earth and Sky right now. I remember that. Right. It was on like uh, the PBS... Radio station, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, information comes from NASA.gov, Science Daily, and Wikipedia. So they think that the uh, formation could have been formed from ash from volcanoes uh, that have names. And uh, (laughs) further- you can't pronounce? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, The formation is divided into three subunits that are all considered to be of Amazonian age, uh, the youngest era in Martian geological history, which is really kind of cool. I'd not heard of it. Amazon, what? Amazonian? Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Mars has ages and eras just as... Epochs. You know, exactly. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm not familiar with those Mm. either. So the Amazonian age is the youngest era in Martian geological history. That's something I learned today. That's fascinating. Right. Also, an analysis of data from the Odyssey spectrometer revealed that the western lobe of the formation contains water. And this means that this formation contains probably bulk water ice. And uh, during periods of high tilt water ice was probably stable on the surface yeah that's amazing and and you know you see the remnants of uh, ancient riverbeds the erosion of ancient riverbeds on the surface of mars and they were you know we're talking big bodies of water that were there at one time well it's really hard to determine what is what because there's so much ground erosion and because there's so much movement of this dust it's really hard to see what is what it could be a riverbed it could be just a trench that's created by the constant movement of dust devils and how much water do you think is uh is frozen in the polar ice cap up there yeah i bet it's a lot yeah all right, anyway, so uh, Mars is what it is because of one volcanic deposit. Isn't that neat? That is amazing. I and know this wasn't a super long topic, but it's it's neat AF. Now, you said that the the blanket of dust mm-hmm. globally yeah. all over Mars yeah. that has been collecting for three billion years yeah. is th- how how deep? Three to 40? Seven to 40? Seven to 40. Seven to 40 feet deep. Wow. That's amazing. I wonder how the Martians built their like uh, escape tunnels for their underground civilization. I'm going to post some pictures and we can also uh, share some links uh, because this is really something that maybe the dust storm was the reason they moved underground. For sure. You should look at the earth and sky and 
the NASA website. Probably the escape hatches are also near the, you the pyramids. can learn more about it at Wikipedia. Martians are real. <laughs> and now that thing in the middle. That thing in the middle. Abandoned websites that still work. It's like digital archaeology. I wish I could find my old MySpace page. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> These websites date back over 20 years. Number five, Space Jam. Yep, Space Jam, the Michael Jordan movie. Uh, that dates back to 1996. It's kind of a starry background with these real cheesy icons of like clip art. It's kind of like a little time capsule from the mid-90s. Number four, Ask Dr. Internet <laughs> from 1996. Ask Dr. Internet is one of the oldest question and answer relics on the web. Take that, Jeeves. Number three, Strawberry Pop-Tart Blowtorches from 1994. I don't know what that means. I'm going to read you the abstract. Strawberry Pop-Tarts may be a cheap and inexpensive source of incendiary devices. Toasters, which fail to eject Pop-Tarts, cause the Pop-Tarts to emit flames 10 to 18 inches in height. And then he, he goes on to explain his hypothesis. 1994. What though? Number two. The Bob Dole Jack Kemp presidential campaign page from 1996. That's still active. And number one, also from 1994, welcome to Netscape. It says, you've just embarked on a journey across the internet and Netscape is your vehicle. The welcome page will help you get started on the use of Netscape and your exploration of the internet. I used to use Netscape, also web crawler. Do you remember that one? No. Yeah, web crawler. I, when I first got the internet, I didn't know about browsers. So oh, you were just typing in. Yep. www.poop.com. Was that the first one you. Oh, you know it was. <laughs> I wanted to see if it existed. Did it? I don't think so. Mm, I'll I'm bet. sure it does. <laughs> yeah, it's probably. Oh, a, it's porn. Yeah, it's yeah, a pay it's site porn. for sure. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month 
free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As curator for the Box of Oddities, I've been instructed by the powers that be to issue this urgent warning. Please pay attention. This is for your own good. We've intercepted chatter confirming that Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth will soon be on the streets and roaming freely among you. This warning is specifically for the people in and around the U.S. cities of San Francisco, California, Boston, Massachusetts, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. Plans for the Box of Oddities live Halloween tour are in place and will be executed October 16th at Cobb's Comedy Nightclub, San Francisco, October 27th at Laugh Boston in Boston, October 29th at the Comedy Zone, Charlotte, and October 30th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub, Nashville. For tickets and information, go to theboxofoddities.com. The Box of Oddities Live Halloween Tour. Please take all necessary precautions. You're listening to The Box of Oddities. Nothing better to do? So we got an email, or as uh, one of our favorite YouTubers, uh, Graveyard Girl, calls it, the sassy mail. The sassy mail? The sassy mail. The sassy mail. Uh, Kaylee wrote us and said this. First off, that uh, our names were autocorrected four times by her phone, (laughs) and she had to keep rewriting it, and Mm -hmm. I do apologize. It's part of our plan to drill our names into your head. (laughs) Picture this. I'm a carer. Only Uh, A what? A carer, like a home care person. Okay. Only four months into the job. It's 7.20 a.m. 
a Monday morning, I walk into a citizen's home and all they want today is their commode emptying. So I take the commode to the toilet to empty it. Now, it's bad. So I want you to know I was gagging a lot. So I get a towel off the side of the bath to hide the smell and something catches my eye. So I look and I kid you not. There was a full skeleton on the ceiling above the bath. Wait, what? Like full length of the bath, head at the top, feet at the bottom. Attached to the ceiling? On the ceiling. A real human skeleton? Staring into the bath. At first I froze, she wrote. (laughs) Yeah. And then I realized it was a dead skeleton. Not the living kind, Mm. she writes. Mm. And then I just finished what I was doing and I left. What do you even say? Anyway, hope you enjoy my bit of odd. Thank you, Kaylee. Yeah, I think, Kaylee, that you're the first person that we've ever heard of who saw a skeleton on a bathroom ceiling while emptying out a commode. Yeah, I think you get the trophy for first person to see a skeleton on the ceiling while emptying commode. Congratulations, Kaylee. So have you seen this thing going around on the internet uh, about the, you know, the interwebbles, the information superhighway, the Webernets, the Google machine, Mm -hmm. where people who suffer from the same type of condition that I have, tripophobia, the fear of clusters or holes are freaking out over the iPhone 11. I have seen that. Yeah, because there are like, what, three, four different camera lenses on the back and and it triggers that response, which is an odd phobia. It really is, but it's real. I think a lot of people have it. I think everyone has it, but to a level. Like, I think some people have been able to shed that feeling, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a primal thing. It is. It's a biological response. Thank you. I looked it up. Now, there hasn't been a lot of study on this particular phobia. And and I will say this, in my personal experience, it's not a fear. I I do not fear clusters or holes. Wait, is this your topic for today? I'm getting there. Oh, okay. My reaction is more one of disgust itchiness and disgust and repulsion Mm -hmm. like uh one it's it's hard to describe those of you who have this condition to the degree that i do understand sure um there's not been a lot of study on it two british scientists this is according to ranker Two British scientists say they believe that people fear holes in the way that uh, it's it's not so much the holes themselves, but it's the way they see the holes. According to the research, tightly grouped holes in a picture pop out to the human eye more than, say, the image of um, a, a landscape. Our eyes tell us something is strange. Mm-hmm. And that sends a trigger to the brain that triggers the fear response because our, our eyes and our brain, there's kind of a disconnect there. They say it's similar to seeing, like you've told me, the markings of a poisonous animal mm-hmm. and our fear or our, our need to, to get away from it. Right. So the story about the iPhone 11 got me thinking about that. And I started, you know, looking it up and reading a little bit more about it. And then I came across this. Other things that are instinctively scary to us as human beings. Things oh. that, that uh, we instinctively have fear reaction to. And why? Oh, that's interesting. I'm guessing spiders is on the list. Spiders is. We will get to that. First up, the fear of heights. Okay. All right. Do you have a major fear of heights? Not particularly, no. Do you fear widths like Stephen Wright? I fear... 
bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason for that. We all fear height to one degree or another, like you were saying with trypophobia. Mm -hmm. The reason is your fear is triggered by exaggerated gravitational pull, even if you're just a few feet higher than, than the ground, your brain can sense the change in the gravitational pull. Right. Isn't that, that amazing? That totally makes sense because there have been times like um, on top of the ladder uh, decorating the Christmas tree, mm -hmm. my body will react to the height, even though mentally I'm... I'm totally fine. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, why is my stomach doing this thing? Even though I'm not weirded out. Right. But my body but is. Your, but your body is. And the, the more that distance increases between where you are and where the ground is, the more your brain can sense <gasps> that pull. That's so cool. Or, or the change in the gravitational pull. And if you get up above 30 feet on average, the body can go into panic mode as the eyes send these visual signals to, uh, to your brain. So uh, why doesn't your body do that when you're high up in a building rather than high up on a ladder? I don't know. I'm not an expert on this, clearly. But, you know, when you're on a cruise ship mm -hmm. and they say if, you, if the ship starts moving that uh, in order to prevent seasickness, you look at the horizon mm -hmm. because it kind of stabilizes things. Maybe it's something like that when you're in a building and you can't really see outside. Your brain's being tricked into brain, thinking you're not up high. Yeah. Your brain is tricking itself. Oh, okay. That's just my hypothesis. Makes sense. And it's really fascinating too. When we are born we do not have a fear of height. That's something that is learned. And it happens right about the time that we start... Falling over a lot? <laughs> yes. We start moving around. Mm. When we start crawling or rolling or, or eventually walking, um, the fear of height is developed that way at that time. Snakes. Why are people scared of snakes? I know um, you're you're really not. No. Um, you think they're cute and adorable. I love them. Yeah, I, I know. I get that. Not everybody reacts the same way. But Look at those little faces, though. Inside all of us, we're programmed to one degree or another to fear snakes. And the reason is we were, at one time, little tree-dwelling mammals that were often prey for snakes. Since the beginning of time, we've been afraid of snakes. Well, the beginning of our time, right. anyway. And so because of that, our eyes evolved to see colors more vividly to avoid snakes. Right. That's like how we can see so many shades of green uh, because we needed to be able to differentiate between what was happening between the grass yes. and the trees and the... Yep. It helped us avoid snake predators. There was a 2011 study that showed uh, children can find snakes faster than they can find flowers when shown pictures. Oh, wow. It is. An, it is. Um, and again, according to Ranker, it is our neural fear mode that signals the ability. It's like having a, a, like a built-in snake alarm. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. Carl Sagan in, in uh, The Dragons of Eden, which, yes, I have right here on the bookshelf, <laughs> talks about these, uh, these primal things that are still inside of us that we learned when we were just little tree shrews. Little nugget. Mothers learned to keep their infants quiet by imitating the sound of hissing reptiles. They learned very quickly that if they made that hissing sound, the offspring would remain quiet. And still to this day, and this, this makes me love Carl Sagan so much, because <laughs> he's the one that told me this personally, no, in the book. 
right up to this day, from the point where we were tree shrews to today, there's this unbroken bond, this unbroken connection. Because even today, when we want an infant to be quiet, we go, shh, like a hissing reptile. Mm, it's incredible. I know I've talked about that before, but I'm going to talk about it a lot more in future shows. Too. I know. It's just I've gotten used to this. It's just mind-blowing to me. Any hoozle spiders. That's also built into our DNA, thanks to our ancestors. Now, back in the day, spiders posed a uh, much bigger threat. It was when we were uh, hunters, gatherers. Even non-venomous spiders could be lethal. Archaeology uh, has determined that the ability to recognize and fear spiders resulted in more surviving offspring. But why? What's the non-venomous spider got to do with you? I'm guessing back then, you know, infection and... Because of spidey bites? Yeah. Well, you think about think about when you get bitten by a mosquito today uh-huh. and you can't stop scratching it. Sure. Maybe it's something like that. Back oh. then, they would just dig at it and it would become infected and, and they would die from the, re- the resulting infection. Maybe. I'm not sure. Again, just stuff I'm making up on the spot right now. Got it. I, I don't have a spider thing. Um, groups of anything all together, you know, mingling with everything, all mm, crawling all right. over each like other. Like maggots. That's creepy. Yeah. Of course. Sure. Anything in a large number, I think, is a little bit creepy. Like holes. Um, but spiders don't freak me out. Um, and I think it was because I was raised uh, with spiders. You know, we had like tarantulas and, and that kind of business. Um, but my mom always said that she was not scared of spiders as long as they were of a certain size. So, like, okay. tarantulas are great. Wolf spiders, fine. Uh, but anything smaller than, let's say, a wolf spider, that freaks her out because she can't keep track of it. Okay. Yeah, well, that's that makes perfect sense. What's really interesting, too, is how, when it comes to fear of spiders, how disproportionate the fear is between men and women. Women fear spiders much more than men do. That's <laughs> Uh, in this room, that's really interesting. Yeah, we're completely the opposite of what is considered the norm. And I think for those of you who listen to us on a regular basis, would not dispute that. Female babies, some as young as 11 months, are already four times more likely to fear spiders when compared to boy babies of the same age. Really? Yes. I always assume that it's got a lot to do with the parents. And if parents teach you that it's something to be scared of, then... Sure. But I would think that at the age of 11 months, that seems early. Well, well, they say it's it's built into our DNA. I suppose. uh, It's likely due to the fact that... uh, And and they think it goes back to like the hunter-gatherer days. If a woman was bitten by a spider, her offspring would likely die without her. Um, At that time, men were warriors, women were caretakers. A spider posed a much bigger threat to a woman and her children than a man. Got it. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I mean, except for the being scared of spiders thing. (laughs) Never stop doing this. I enjoy this topic very, very much. (laughs) Fear of public speaking. We all have it to one degree or another, once again. Even people who are not terrified of public speaking um, still get some symptoms associated with with fear, like butterflies in the stomach. I mean, we've got all these live shows coming up. You know, with us, it's not butterflies in the stomach. It's nervous poop feeling. (laughs) It's feeling like we got to poop all the time. (laughs) 
But, you know, the feeling butterflies in the stomach and uh, you can't maybe sleep the night before, sweating, sweaty palms. Sweaty palms, yeah. People, you can always tell when somebody is not used to being in front of crowds when they're speaking because they will squeeze their hands and rub their hands. Not only is it self-comforting, but your hands are sweaty and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. This fear comes from the part of the brain that regulates emotion, reacting to emotions displayed on each and every face in the audience. Now, when you see a smiling, happy face, you feel good, right? When somebody smiles at you and it's a genuine smile, it makes you feel good. When you see, when you see somebody scowling and frowning, sure. and there are certain expressions and even micro expressions that trigger reaction right. to you. Even if, you know, it's just like kind of a... a a small little smirk, Mm -hmm. you feel it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you're in front of a big crowd, your brain is incapable of taking in all the sensory overload from all of the different faces. So you don't know where the threats are coming you from. You don't know where the threats are coming from. Uh, from, And so it triggers this primitive uh, fear of being attacked. Right. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I love that. I always think back to, uh, I think it was probably an episode of like Lie to Me or House or something like that, right, right. where they talked about how so often um, what we take to be like as instinctual uh, understandings of a person, like you meet someone and you get a feeling from them that sometimes that can just be that you're picking up on micro expressions. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It really is how much the eye takes in mm. and processes and we don't even consciously recognize it other than it triggers reactions. Right. It turns out you can actually be scared to death. It's a thing. It can happen. Humans are hardwired to have physical reactions to being scared whether it be a sudden noise Mm -hmm. or a fast uh, motion toward them, Mm -hmm. it triggers a startle, the startle reflex. Right. That's been developed as a means of survival. Of course. And what it is, of course, is an intense uh, chemical reaction. Adrenaline is just pumped through the body. Now, some people love that feeling, you know. I like it when I pick it. When I said, this is a feeling that I'd like to have now. Yeah. I'm enjoying this experience, which will give me this feeling. But if someone else makes me feel that way, like... I was at work the other day and I sit in one of those chairs that has the back that you can lean back in and I didn't hear this person come up behind me and they pulled the back of my chair that's down just, real fast. That's just bad form. And I wasn't right for like a half hour. My heart was pounding. Mm-hmm. I was just, I started to get sweaty. It was awful. Right, right. <laughs> well, the adrenaline floods the body and your brain and it does, it creates all of those um physical reactions. Now, again, some people love it, which is why haunted uh, houses are popular, which is why skydiving, skydiving, roller coasters, horror movies. There are, I guess I'm like you in the sense that if I, if I feel as though I can control it, I'm Mm -hmm. fine with it. But if I'm, if somebody purposely tries to scare me, not only does it scare me, it makes me angry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it absolutely makes me angry. It's like laundry smell all over again. Yeah. If we leave the laundry uh, in the washing machine too long before we dry it, and it, and then when we dry it, it has that kind of old laundry old smell. Old laundry smell. My reaction to that, and yours, I found out, is one of anger. <laughs> I get angry at my laundry. It doesn't make any sense. But I get it. I, I, I absolutely get it. And in using our live shows as an example again, sitting in the green room uh, before our very first show 
in Nashville, mm-hmm. you know, I could feel the butterflies. Oh, yeah. And, but once I got up there, it was fun. And then afterwards, the adrenaline felt good. Sure. No, I agree. So I can see why some people become adrenaline junkies. But it's also, keep in mind that even if you have that adrenaline rush for a good thing, like let's say the show, um, I still thought I was going to throw up afterwards. Like I just felt so overwhelmed with emotion. It was like, there's so much. And it like had to shoot out of me somehow. It didn't. I mean, I kept it all in. Yeah, you did uh, remarkably well. Thank you. Oh, man, I just realized that the show we're doing next week is only our second show we've ever done. I know. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to end it on that. Okay, great. Um, although, well, no, you know what? Death. Yay. Let's talk about death. Okay. That is probably the biggest fear everybody has, the fear of death. Yeah. You, you, you say you don't fear it. <laughs> I don't believe you. I think you're very good at managing your fear of death. Thank you. You're welcome. Because you know what? Death is going to kill you. That's correct. Yes. It feels predatory, doesn't it? No. That you know that no matter what you do, at some point, you're going to have to face that moment. There's actually a great William Shatner song about that. You're going to die. Oh, I remember that. That's a good yeah. one. Apparently, Shatner never will. What is he, like 86 now? And he's... He's the same age as George Hale. He's doing he's doing some sort of um, stem cell treatments no that are supposed to well pretty much make them live forever that's amazing it's it's an experimental stem cell thing that they're doing to to see how long they can keep shatner alive i think that's incredible (laughs) and a worthy cause yes indeed uh anyway fear of death existential death anxiety it's the knowledge that at some point you know we all gotta face it and that's because humans have evolved to be intelligent well some of them <laughs> Valid. Yeah. Those of us who aren't in politics have evolved to uh to have an innate fear of what what is gonna happen when life ends. Yeah. Animals don't worry about dying. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that, you know, that's the price that we pay for being quote intelligent, is that we understand that the end is near eventually. I feel like I do in the green room before we go up on stage it's kind of an unknown you know okay i just don't want to like i don't want to die in a fiery hoop no you know no i don't want nobody has ever died in a fiery hoop i'm just saying that i know it's not what i want fiery crash yes people 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 jump through fiery hoops i hope not to be an extraordinary pain at any point in my life even on it's out Sure. Uh, yeah. So that's the thing that I worry about. Like, I don't want to be in a bunch of pain or, you know. Or causing uh, issues for other people. And, right. Yeah. yeah. No, that would be terrible. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. that. I get that. But the actual extinguishing itself doesn't really concern me. I won't know. You don't know that you won't know, though. Maybe you will know. You don't know. Yeah. But if I know, then I won't care. I'll be doing something else. What do you think you'd be doing? Decomposing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's end it there. Um, <laughs> uh, we, uh, we, we look forward to those of you who are planning on checking out one of our shows. We appreciate the fact that you're going to make that pilgrimage, and uh, hopefully we won't, we won't really ruin your night. Yes, that is, yeah. that is our, yeah. our high Kat, expectation. Cat is going to do her best not to throw up on you. <laughs> Thank you. Tickets on our website, theboxofoddities.com, and we will see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it. 
proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2019, all rights reserved If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.